Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. If you've ever been in the audience when a masterful communicator <clears throat> tells a story, as they're going through the story, you feel like they're talking about themselves, but this story is really not about them. In fact, you feel like they've been reading your mail. They know everything that's going on in your life. They understand the problems that you face. When you're a good communicator, when you've taken the time to craft a story, not just telling your own monologue, not just explaining what happened to you, but craft a story to be well told, that'll be the impact that you have on the audience. It may be your story, but it's not about you. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I can tell you it takes an art form to craft a story that other people feel themselves in. See, the, the common emotions of life, the frustrations, the anxieties, the joy, the happiness, the pain, the sorrow, the loss, the loneliness, the forgetfulness. See, these are all common emotions, common to all humans. All humans and all societies feel them. Sometimes for a little different reason. Culturally, there, there are distinguish, distinguishing factors about what kind of emotion goes with what kind of relationship. And there are different levels of maturity and religious ideologies and political ideologies that would cause you to feel differently about a given situation. I mean, if a car has an accident because a pet ran out on the road. Some people are more upset about the damage to the car than they would have been running over the pet. Well, let that sink in a little bit though, because about two years ago, there was a headline news story of a lady who was driving through the countryside, and I believe it was a family of ducks began to cross the road. Well, she's cruising down a country highway at 50 or 60 miles an hour. Behind her was a motorcycle. And the driver on that motorcycle couldn't stop as quickly in her as she did in her car. She saw the ducks, panicked, slammed on her brakes. He couldn't stop fast enough, hit the back of her car. But his passenger was his nine-year-old daughter. Father and daughter were both killed in that accident. Now, I understand if you value ducks. But if you had to make the choice between a family of ducks and a father and daughter, would you have chosen the ducks? See, the emotion that goes along with that, that's pretty high. And if you've ever lost a loved one to a motorcycle accident, you might hate the motorcycle more than the ducks. You might hate the motorcycle more than the lady who slammed on her brakes out of panic because she didn't want to hit the baby ducks. But the fact that she didn't look in the rearview mirror meant now she has manslaughter charges against her over ducks. No, not because she killed the ducks, but because she killed a couple of humans in reacting to the ducks. Now, if we were to put that story out as a survey into a crowd of, say, 100 people, there would be people who said, well, if I saw ducks in the road, I would slam on the brakes too. The poor little innocent ducks, they did nothing. And the stupid father, he chose to ride a motorcycle. 
And there would be people who would be like, oh my God, I, I can't believe you even think that way that you would value duck life over human life. And there would be people who would be like, what kind of moron slams on their brakes without looking in the mirror? And see, all of these emotions are genuine and they're all real. And a great communicator learns to tell a story in a way that everybody's invited in. And everybody sees themselves in that story in some way. And it may be your story. It may be the news story. It may be an abstract story. It may be nothing more than an allegory. And fables. Parables. These are all stories. But see, the big talk today is tell your story. You got to tell your story. You, you got to tell people what you've been through. There's value in that in so much as you can find the common ground where everybody else has been through something similar. I mean, again, not everybody has a unique story of being bitten in half by a shark while surfing and living to tell about it. I mean, that, that's a pretty unique story. That's a one-off story. That kind of story is about as rare as a middle school basketball lover becoming an NBA All-Star. It happens, just not very often, and, and not to everybody. But see, the most effective stories are the stories that you tell, where the moment in your life, the pain in your life, the emotion in your life, and it doesn't always have to be pain, but usually a solution follows a problem. And people don't listen to your story just for entertainment. They go to movies for that. They read books for that. Most people are not listening to your story unless you've been bitten in half by a shark or born with no arms and no legs. Most people are not listening to your story just for the giggles of listening to your story. They have comedians for that. But if you're telling a story about a moment that happened in your life and you've identified a pain or a problem that's common to thousands of people, but you've found a way to overcome that pain, to solve that problem, to bring an end to the challenge, a solution to an obstacle. That's why people are listening to your story. I mean, I could show you all the books in my library and you would see that they all have one common theme. They solve a problem. Some about marketing, some about politics, some about public speaking, some about how to use your brain better, some about how to take better care of your health or your spiritual life or your culture. Some about parenting, some about being a better husband. But every one of the books on the shelf in my library have one thing in common. They solve a problem. Now, some of them are better written than others. And by better written, I mean some of them kind of bounce around the problem for a long time. And by the time you get to the end, you realize whoever wrote this book didn't really have the solution to this problem. They're, they're still struggling with it. And it's still kicking their butt on a regular basis, whether that's addiction or it's it's deep, dark thoughts or it's self-loathing, whatever that problem is. They haven't figured out the financial world. There's a book that it comes up commonly. It's a, a business book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he makes some really good points about successful businesses. The irony is, I don't know that any of the businesses he highlighted as super successful businesses when he wrote the book Good to Great, I don't know how many of those businesses are still in business. So was it a long-term solution that he offered for them? Was it, was it a collection of wisdom from days gone by? Would the rules, the principles, the ideas still apply today if all of the businesses that were applying them then are now out of business? That's a really good question. 
It'd be fascinating to see someone who's got greater success rewrite the book. Good to great. What, is it, what does it take? What does it take to survive today? How much has the business world changed since that book was written? See, the stories that are the most powerful when they're told from the platform or on a webinar or in a book are the stories that are universally true. The ones that say, here's a problem I had with understanding my wife. I mean, comedians still play on the differences between men and women uh, in the most simple and yet hysterical ways. I heard, in fact, Jerry Seinfeld say just the other day, most women claim their husbands don't hear them. I've never heard my wife say that. Yeah, let that one sink in for a minute. Because I've never heard my wife complain that I don't hear her. Because I'm not listening, right? That That's kind of the challenge, but it's also the butt of the joke. And the reality is men have selective listening, especially if the football game is on. I mean, you could set the house on fire. And if that play is important, they're going to be watching that play, not running from the fire. They have priorities. And when you understand that that's true of the human experience, you, you understand the differences between men and women as they happen in middle school and high school and college and marriage, parenting. The way we parent is different. I was chatting with a lady just last night, a coaching client who has three boys. She has no daughters. She has three boys, all under the age of 10. And... My baby boy is 25, so it's been a minute since I raised boys. But I have 10 grandchildren, and eight of those are boys. And they range in age from 1 to 16. And I find that even in this now third generation of boydom in my world, boys are boys. Oh, they, their toys are different. But the one-year-old today, the five-year-old today, the seven-year-old today, the 16-year-old today is not unlike the one, five, and 16-year-old I raised a couple of decades ago. They still get into all kinds of stuff. It's not at all uncommon to shout across the room, get off of that! Because that's what they do. They want to climb. They want to take things apart. They love to disassemble the world just to see if they can put it back together again. And some of them get bored and they don't want to put it back together again. And if you've ever been a parent of a son... You know that. That's what boys do. For a season, my daughter had a sign on her wall that said, boy, it's a noise with dirt on it. Yeah, that's, that's a very apt description. In our household, we had a phrase, boying. Not the sound a spring makes, although it sounds the same. But boying is a verb. It's what a boy does. And there were times that my boys would be doing something. My wife would look over and I'd go, what are you doing? And I'm like, leave them alone. They're just boying. They're discovering the world in their own weird way. That's what they do. They want to take it apart and see if they can put it back together again. And if you allow them to do that, that's where discovery happens. Most little girls don't think like that. They want to build house and play with their dolls. And whether they're stuffed animals or Barbie dolls or whatever, that's, that's the way they play. Now, social media has changed that. The, the online apps and games have changed that a little bit. But the nature of them is still pretty much the same. And if I were to talk to people of two generations ago, grandparents and great-grandparents, you would find that they're very much the same. Yesterday, I parked at HEB. As I got out of my car to walk into the store, I saw a lady standing by the baskets, literally just standing by the little cart return thing. And I thought as I pulled in, I should ask her if she needs help with something. And as I 
got out of my car and locked the door. I turned around and I see a, a gentleman getting out of his truck with a walking stick. And he made his way around the back of the truck toward the parking lot. And she turned a basket around and looked at him like, hurry up. And then he hobbled over to the basket. She took his stick away from him, put his hands on the basket. Then away they went into the store. And so I looked at her and I, I looked at him and I said, how long have you been chasing her? And he laughed out loud and he said, 65 years. I said, really? She said, yeah, we've been married 62, but it took him a minute to catch up. And here they are, her fully mobile, 65 years. That means they've got to be in their 70s or 80s at least. Still going shopping together, still hanging out together, still laughing and joking with each other, still cutting up with each other. But they got the joke immediately. How long have you been chasing her? Well, because he's trying to keep up with a stick. She's already out of the car, got a basket waiting on him. And he's walking with a stick trying to keep up. He's still chasing her. 62 years of marriage later, he's still chasing her. I'm still chasing my wife. We've only been married 30 years. I got some catching up to do. But if you understand that, just that little turn of phrase, you can start a conversation with anybody. And the story doesn't have to be about you, but it should include you. I've talked this week already about being original, using original stories, being authentic, not making stuff up just for the sake of telling a story. <clears throat> to talk in the terms of the audience's interest, not just your own. But today, the real focus is how do you tell a story that includes you, but it's not about you? It's an allegory. It's a reference point. There are common things in raising my boys that we've experienced together, things that only boys would do together, that father and sons do together, that frankly, my mom just didn't get it. I, I don't think if my uncles had been around, I would have ever been to a target range as a kid. I would have never had a chance to shoot a Coke can off of a fence post because uh, my dad was gone by the time I was four and my stepdad by the time I was nine. I just didn't have male influences in my life except my uncles to do those kinds of things. But even now, the photos of when my boys got their first rifles, adult rifles, real rifles, like deer hunting rifles, and we went to the lodge out in the middle of nowhere, central Texas, and we shot targets that were 50 and 100 yards away, those videos still pop up on our photos and memories from time to time. And even my wife looks back at those moments and she says, those were some great bonding times between father and son. We need to do that again. But they're all grown up now. Those photos are from 10 years ago. But it's easy to recognize those bonding moments. Maybe it was over rebuilding an old car. Maybe it was over the motorcycles and parts or working on the yard. I remember putting brakes on my Suburban. Oh my goodness, this would have been almost 10 years ago. And there was a young lady that one of my boys was seeing at the time. And it was hot. I mean, it was really hot outside. It was August. And we had already taken the back wheels off and we had them laying on the sidewalk when she came over. And she saw what we were doing. We're both, we're all, all three of us, covered to our eyeballs in grease and brake dust and, and everything else. And she looked at us and she said, this is so cool seeing you guys do all this together. Can I play? And we kind of looked at each other like, honey, this is work. We're not playing. But she went inside and took off her fancy little shirt and borrowed somebody else's tank top and she came back out. And by the time we were done, she had grease in her eyebrows as well. 
And to this day, when I see that young lady, almost 10 years later, she runs across a parking lot to give me a hug. And she says, I'll never forget the day you taught me to change brakes on a truck. Okay, not a typical girl thing, but she's not a typical girl either. The reality of these bonding moments can be anything, just spending time together. Now, if you listen to that story and you think to that story, I, you know, it, that's not me. I wasn't in the story. I wasn't a part of it. I'm not either one of your two sons and I wasn't that girl. That's fine. But I'd be willing to bet if I just pulled the audience. There's at least one young lady out there. I can think of one right now whose dad has, I believe it's a 52 Chevy pickup which is one of those that I've always wanted, the 50 to 54 bubble pickups with some of them with the five window. Sweet, sweet old trucks. I love those old trucks. I love their shape and their style. But I know that her dad had one and he made it a resto mod. It was really quick with a little LS motor in it and a really special truck. And she spent many years idolizing that truck and loving that truck. And today, she's a grown woman with grown children and grandchildren. And she still gets a little emotional when she talks about that truck. She spent hours in that truck with her brothers. She's told me stories about them dragging an RV home with a pickup. I mean, she's been in the thick of it, raised with all these boys. One of the ladies that I do a lot of coaching with is the only daughter in a group of six or seven children. She's the one girl out of six boys. She's done a lot of tomboy kind of things. A moment like that, changing the brakes on the back of the truck, she's probably been there, done that, got grease up to her eyeballs. She's not the only one, but she is one for whom that story really resonates. And when you can look in the audience and identify those kind of people and tell that kind of story, and you realize the story includes me because it happened to me. That's how I know that it's a real moment. That's what makes it original and authentic, and that's what gives it the value. But see, I've now got to find in that story, as I'm telling that story, and it's it's my story because I was there. It's my story because it's my experience. It's, it's original and authentic, and it's pointed at the audience because I've identified somebody in the audience that I know this story is going to resonate with. Now the question is, what's the problem that it identifies, and what's the solution that it offers? Now... I could be really low-hanging fruit with that story and say, listen, anytime you have a chance to create that bonding moment with your kids or anybody around you, some of those kids, I've got one in the family right now that's been dating my son for a while. She grew up in foster care. And probably within a month or two, every time she got off the phone with my wife, she said, I love you. And my my wife responds, I love you. Why? Well, because that's who we are. But when you grew up in foster care, having real parents who put up with all your silliness, tell you when you're wrong, walk with you through all of the struggles, that's an oddity. It's not real common when you've lived in foster care. Sometimes you have adoptive parents and and they really dig in and they do a good job. And sometimes you're not that lucky. But she's been around for two years now. Might be around longer than that. Who knows? But for now, she's found family. Or as Stitch would say, Ohana, it means family. It's small and it's broken, but it's good. 
See, when, when you allow somebody to come into your life and become a part of your family, those bonding moments, they might look different for everybody. Maybe you don't go fishing. Maybe you don't go hunting. Maybe you don't work on cars. But it happens in the kitchen. See, now all of a sudden we've taken that one story and, and stretched it a little bit, not by making things up, not to, not to embellish or lie, but to say, how do we include other people? Later on, we'll talk about the avatar window. The avatar window is a technique that I use in storytelling to invite people in that don't immediately see themselves in the story. But if you've been that lonely child, if you've been that foster care child, if you've been the one kind of left outside the circles that you never felt included, if you just had a chance to go back to your 13th or 14th or 15th birthday and say, I want to play. Can I, can I put on my scrubby clothes and help change the brakes on your car? How many times would somebody have said, uh, no, this is a little more technical. This is not a girl's job. Versus, all right, grab a wrench. Let me show you what to do. And sometimes the decision is that simple. And the impact is lifelong. That's the value of a story well told. That's the value of a story well crafted, well selected. Walking through the elements of that story so many times in your head. The people, the players, the conditions, the situation. Notice there's not a whole lot of word picturing in that. We'll talk about that later as well. What is the value of a co-opted enthymeme? It's the value of emotion. But when you can learn to use some of those techniques and telling the stories that you tell, it doesn't take 30 minutes to tell it. I, I'm literally intentionally creating 25-minute episodes of this because... They're broadcast on television networks and they like the 25-minute episodes so they can sell ads around it. But I can teach you to tell stories in two minutes or less. There's an art form to it. It starts with selecting the right story and then utilizing the story that best fits the audience that's in front of you at the time. That's why I tell my clients, you don't need one story. You don't need just your life story. You need a collection of stories, a collection of events and incidences that you can lay out there where people see themselves in the story. It might be your story, but it's not about you. You become the allegory. You invite them into the pain to say, I've seen your pain. I've been there. I've been through exactly the same thing. I know what it feels like. And I have a solution. I found what works. It worked for me. It's worked for others. It'll work for you. And if you apply the solution that I found, it'll change your life. It'll bring true transformation into your life. That's the purpose for telling stories. To invite people into a moment where they say, you know what I feel like because that's like you're telling my story. But I didn't find a solution yet. I got one for you. Take the time to look at the stories. I mean that literally. Write down the stories that you use commonly. Look at the words and ask yourself, am I focused too much on me? Or am I telling a story that includes me, but it's really about the people that I'm trying to help? When you get to the place where the story includes you and a cast of characters that look a lot like your audience, but the story's really about the people you want to help, you'll find that they feel like they're sitting in the audience listening to you tell their story. Because... It's really not about you. It's about them. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. Or tell it like it is TV. Have a blessed day. Lauren.
is a master teacher on storytelling and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren but uh, it was totally worth my time and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business, uh, grow your career, uh, Lauren will serve you well. Thank you. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.